Hi, this is Jim Elliott from Dive Heart, a nonprofit that helps children, vets, and others with disabilities through scuba therapy. You're listening to Smart Talk. The Mike Novak Show starts in three, two, one. Uh, do you want to hear an insect joke? I suppose. All right. Do you know the one about the termite walking into the bar? This is the no. A termite walks into the bar and says, where's the bartender? How about the grasshopper? Grasshopper walks into a bar and says, well, the bartender says, hey, you know, we got a drink named after you. And the grasshopper says, you got a drink named Steve? Is that uh, it? An inchworm crawls into the bar, and he crawls all the way up the bar still. It takes him a long time. And he's just about to order that drink. And the bartender sees him and says, hey, we don't serve no inchworms in this bar. And he throws him out the door. Exactly one year later, there's a knock at the door, and the bartender answers. And the inchworm says, what the hell was that all about? You see, it's because the interns are really slow, and it took him a whole entire year to get back to the door. <laughs> are, are we finished? It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio. Flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome at 877-711-5611. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. And true currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine will good planets are hard to find. Good planets are in the main. This hour is brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Jet streams, perfect air. And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. Good planets are in the main hey welcome to the show and if you're watching on uh, the YouTubes or the Facebook uh, Peggy and I are doing our approximation of what you see when you're in a Zoom conference hello. with a lot of people hello uh, hello? hello is this hello? thing on uh, hello yeah. can you hear me I can see your ceiling fan hello I can see your pictures up uh, Oh, there you are. When you're on a Zoom conference, and, and of course on radio, this doesn't apply, but even you folks listening just on radio right now have been in a Zoom conference in, over the last three or four months. And you've seen people who basically, they shoot the, the, uh, the, the shot from their uh, camera on their computer is right at the ceiling. And then you can see <laughs> almost, almost the top of their head. And then you got lots of ceiling. And in your case, Peggy, there's a ceiling fan going. I don't even have a ceiling fan in this room. And the fan uh, makes it worse because you can just stare at it and uh, stare at it and right stare at it. Round and round, they're spinning <laughs> and spinning and spinning. Uh, so this is just a word of advice to folks. Uh, uh, show some respect for your <laughs> fellow <laughs> conferencees. And uh, and try to get a shot of you, you know, uh, instead of your ceiling. In fact, now I got to adjust this thing, or at least a shot of a house plant. Uh, well, and I've got two behind me, including my wonderful ZZ plant, uh, which is sprouting. 
ZZ plants, um, they're amazing because they're one of those plants you almost never have to water. And if you do water, you'll probably kill it. Um, And um, I have killed a couple of ZZ plants and this one is rocking. You know, you have to be really careful about the watering. Uh, And this has got three, count them, three spouts. Nice. Sprouts coming up. Yeah. Nice. And I've got peace lily back here blooming. Both both of them are my other plants blooming too. You know, I've got visual aid. I might as well. Here it is. Here's the ZZ plant. And you can see right there that nice bright green. That is the sprout. Very nice. Yeah. And then another one coming up there. It's great. All right. Let's put in for for you folks on radio. Sorry about that. But. uh, And then if you put it outside, then it becomes part of your garden. uh, Maybe somebody wants to see it. Uh, oh, you're going to refer to what I did the other day. Yeah, I did a garden tour of my yard for uh, the Lombard Garden Club here in the Chicago area. Like, yeah, give them a ding because they, uh, they, uh, they've taken uh, the charge here and just decided, you know, we're going to do virtual garden talks because um, I do a number of garden talks during the year and those have all been canceled. Uh, except if you do it online. So what I did is I went on a tour of my garden. And what was interesting, uh, when I woke up on Friday, which is when I did it, it was storming. I mean, lightning, thunder, mm-hmm. rain pouring down in buckets. My Drama. Cat, my cat hiding under the couch. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just kind of looked at the radar and I went, I think it's going to clear. I think it is. And it cleared about <laughs> 15 minutes before we started the thing. Um and the yard was gorgeous and beautiful. Here's the thing, though. So I did an hour where I'm doing a tour of my garden, uh, and they're streaming it, and everybody's uh, watching it on the stream. And the first thing we had to figure out is why the bandwidth was so low. It's because everybody had their video on. So now we had to tell everybody, turn off your video, just use the audio, uh, and you watch Mike. Mike will be the only person who has a video streaming, because otherwise there's no signal. He doesn't uh, need to see you while he's in his right. garden. Uh, so that was it. And then we had to tell people, uh, mute your microphones, please. Uh, please don't do that because that uh, is going to – because the screen will go to you when you do that and not Mike. And the whole idea is get the tour of his yard. So I'm going to have to take a look at that. I haven't looked all the way through it yet, mm-hmm. but I can see there's places where people's names pop up in the middle yeah. of presentation. But I'm I can chiming in. <laughs> I can edit and your ZZ out. plant was chiming in too, probably. No, my ZZ plant was in the house, nice yeah. and safe. Uh, but I have to say, I was exhausted. And first of all, I was drenched in sweat, and it wasn't the rain; it was the sweat. Uh, it was I, I had flop sweat from, from doing the thing, <laughs> and um, I was exhausted. I, I couldn't tell you; I was out of breath half the time because uh, I'm bending and stretching and watering from one side. Oh, and look at this and look at that and look at that. And I was just complete. I had to collapse onto the couch when I got back inside. <laughs> Unbelievable. So, but I, but I'm looking forward to doing more. So let's do more. Yeah. So anybody, you got, you, you, you got in practice for a 60 second video, right? And if those of you who are listening, have a garden club and you want to do a virtual tour of Mike's yard, which looks better than it ever has in his entire life. Um, I would be happy to do that. So give me a holler, Mike at MikeNovak.net. All right, we've just got a five minutes here. We got to tell people about something very exciting that's going on from Chicago Excellence in Gardening Awards. Uh, and that is something that you will find if you go to the Facebook page. Even better, go to my website, MikeNovak.net. 
Um, I have the information for the 60-second garden video challenge that SEGA is putting on this year. The COVID sort of knocked us flat. So the timing and everything, I mean, even if we wanted to have a garden, uh, not a garden walk, a garden contest and have people enter it, you know, they'd have to get their gardens ready and enter. And there's a lot of uh, uh, protocol and paperwork, and uh, we could never get it done now in time. But we decided, let's do something different this year. Mm -hmm. And so what we decided, the committee, uh, which Peggy is on and I'm on, and and folks like Christine Nye, uh, formerly of the Shed Aquarium, and Julie Taylor now from the Shed Aquarium, and Latasha Reggins from uh, Illinois Extension, uh, we decided... Julie Samuels from... Julie Samuels from Chicago Community Gardeners Association, uh, MJ Garnier, or Garnier, uh, however she pronounces it, her last name. She's MJ. MJ, that's what we call it. We decided, well, let's do a video contest. That means anybody can enter. And we're talking not just Chicago. We're talking about anywhere, I guess, in the world. I assume, cool. I assume the United States and Canada, if you're listening there. Um, but we uh, are telling people, you've got 60 seconds. Here's the, that's the way it works. And if you go to MikeNovak.net and click on, or, or you could go to ChicagoGardeningAwards.org as well. And right on the homepage, it explains everything. And, and it even has sample videos. And, uh, and I was reminded of this by, by doing my garden talk on Friday, because I had an hour to do the garden walk on Friday. But I did a 60-second version that we, we have as a sample at uh, Chicago Excellence in Gardening Awards. And you can see what it, how hard it is, but you can get creative and you don't have to do it all the same way. We hope people get yeah. really creative with their videos. You can take they, photos and put them together as a video. Sure, if you wanted. And, and if you use music, you got to use public domain. Don't use uh, copyrighted music or uh, we can't use that. So you're going to have to get extra special creative. Maybe if you're a musician, you can do that. And you know what? Uh, you explain a little more because I, I realize I don't have the clock, the world clock up here. If I don't have it, I, got about, we have about two minutes here. Yeah, that's why I, I realized we got about <laughs> two minutes before we break. So the entry is open July 1st at chicagogardeningawards.org, as Mike said, and go into September. One entry and it's people's choice. So get yeah, all your friends to, to well the idea that we'll pop them on our YouTube mm -hmm. page and then you give them a thumbs up if you like it we're gonna ask people not to give a thumbs down I mean it's a gardening contest yeah come on, come on don't, be nice don't don't, don't be mean <laughs> to people uh, and uh, and then we'll see what happens we have the best part of this we have no idea whether anybody's gonna participate in I'm this. hoping it goes viral personally but uh, it'd I be think fun cool sixty seconds. Take your camera, take your cell phone, go out in your yard, shoot a 60-second video, and then submit it. You can load it right up there to a Chicago Excellence in Gardening Awards. Again, that is chicagogardeningawards.org. Or if you don't remember that, go to my website, mikenovak.net, uh, or go to the Facebook page, because I've got the, in the explanation of today's show, I've got that information. And we'll get uh, Kayla to put uh, more up about yeah, that. Yeah, I'll, so. I'll send her the links. So, ladies and germs, start your cameras. The 60-second garden video challenge is going on. All right, when we come back, let's talk about wildlife in our gardens. Last week, we had an entomologist. Now, we 
figure out how to keep those insects happy. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We'll be right back. We continue to live in interesting and challenging times. As we've learned over the past few months, something as important as tree care can be made much more difficult by unexpected events like the COVID-19 pandemic. Bartlett Tree Experts understands that and has made safety their number one consideration. But that's not surprising because safety has always been their number one concern and will continue to be their concern as we move into the next phases of this crisis. Something else we've learned over this time is that people love their trees and from a safe distance have been eager to talk to Bartlett Arborist representatives, whether from the safety of their porch or through a window or over the phone. They also know that Bartlett can make outside areas safer from ticks, which are having a banner year thanks to a mild winter. Bottom line, the folks at Bartlett Tree Experts want to say thank you to their customers for loving trees and understanding that every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Welcome to Keep Eating Healthy. If you're an omnivore, there's an alternative to factory-farmed meats. Cedar Valley Sustainable Farms CSA brings you beef, pork, chicken, and eggs, all raised humanely, drug and hormone-free, with respect for the earth and the animals. And since the start of the COVID-19 emergency, they've been doing non-contact pickup at delivery locations throughout the city and suburbs. Go to CedarValleySustainable.com or click on the Keep Eating Healthy logo at MikeNovak.net. Since 2001, DiveHeart has been revolutionizing rehabilitation using zero gravity and scuba therapy to give confidence, independence, self-esteem, and yes, freedom to children, veterans, and others with disabilities. At DiveHeart, we believe in the power of partnership because together we can do great things. Let DiveHeart help you imagine the possibilities in your life. Go to DiveHeart.org to learn more. Welcome to Keep Eating Healthy. Joe's Blues brings Michigan's sweetest naturally grown pesticide-free blueberries to Chicago with 12 CSA drop-off sites in the area or get them at Chicago farmer's markets. Joe's Blues also sells zero and low-sugar blueberry preserves, pure-dried berries, 35% cream ice cream, moisturizing soap, and more. Sign up now for safe social distancing you-pick events this year. Go to joesblueberries.com or click on the Keep Eating Healthy logo at mikenovak.net. The grass grows tall on the hilltop tonight, not a carbon footprint to be seen. A kingdom of diversification, and I'd be like, I'm the king. The wind is howling and the blades of grass are long, kind of like my hair during quarantine. Everybody sing. Okay, welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. That is part one. You're going to hear part two after the next break. Um, and that is a, uh, a takeoff, of course, on Let It Go from the movie Frozen. But it's a, a naturalist out in the field. It's uh, Samuel L. Lewis State Park uh, in uh, York, Pennsylvania. Hmm. Uh, they put that together and it, he, he sings pretty well and he's out in the field and he's doing it and you'll hear some of it later on. So I, I thought it was uh, particularly appropriate for the guests we have on the show this morning. We've got Mary Phillips, the senior director of a garden for wildlife with the national wildlife federation. She was on our show last year. We talked 
about the National Pollinator Garden Network and the Million Pollinator Garden Challenge. See, you've got the Million uh, Pollinator Garden Challenge. We have the 60-second garden video challenge uh, from Chicago Excellence in Gardening Awards. And basically, as we explained in the last segment, it's it, we want people to go out in their gardens and in 60 seconds uh, show us something fun. And the best ones will win valuable Wally prizes, uh, whatever they are. Uh, we forgot to say it is free, too. And it's free. Yes, we yes. keep. I keep forgetting to say that. It's free. It's open to anyone. So, uh, Mary, Jill, you guys can enter. Uh, oh, and, great. And, <laughs> anybody anywhere in the country uh, or even the world. I don't know. I'd, I'd love to get one from Sweden. Let's see what happens here, okay? Uh, so the, that's Mary Phillips. And the other uh, – and, Jill, I'm going to ask you to pronounce your last name for me. Utrup. Okay, that's what I thought. Utrup. I, exu- I uh, assumed it was that. I just hate uh, screwing up people's last names or or first names too. I get that wrong sometimes. Uh, Jill uh, Utrup is a fish and wildlife biologist with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service uh, from the Minnesota Wisconsin Ecological Services Field Office. You guys, you're in Region Three of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, correct? That's correct. Uh, and they're here today because. Well, last week we talked to uh, world-famous entomologist Dr. May Berenbaum um, about our insect crisis, uh, and that conversation was more about what's going on. How do we know that uh, we are in insect decline? We are seeing insect decline. This week we thought, okay, now let's do the flip side of that. How do we stop? How do we reverse insect decline, or at least how do we try? And uh, how do we try in our own backyards? And uh, Mary, start with you, because one of the ways you guys have started that is the Million Pollinator Garden Challenge. And you blew through a million gardens last year. Uh, Where are you now with that? Uh, Thanks. Actually, it took four years uh, to surpass a million gardens. um, And we um, are continuing to encourage people to garden for pollinators. Um, National Wildlife Federation actually started in 1973 to get people to plant for pollinators and other wildlife um, as well. So the Million Pollinator Garden Challenge was something we and other habitat backyard programs and the garden trade came together to really ramp that up and go to a much higher scale. Um, And it really has been effective. And we're continuing to get people registering, um, creating gardens and registering them on the Million Garden uh, platform. So. Well, now what do you do? Do you make it the two million challenge as you move forward? Uh, no, we're just continuing to encourage people. Yeah, it was a, a group of uh, co-founders that came together and it was all of our individual volunteer time on top of our full-time jobs to create the Million Pollinator Garden Challenge. So, um, we did that really aggressively for four years, surpassed the million, and we, we have still so much interest that we are supporting the platform and still encouraging people and still sharing resources, but it's not as aggressive, let's say, in, in promotion as it has been in the past, only because of bandwidth and resources. Um, and each of our own programs have all actually taken off, and I know, Mike, we're going to talk a little bit later, but we have all been inundated with a demand for resources around pollinator gardening and habitat gardening in general this spring that it was all many of us could do to keep <laughs> our own stuff afloat. So the million's still going on, but it's uh, it's not as, it, we're not starting any new goals, let's just say. <laughs> okay. No, uh, no, I understand that uh, during yeah. this uh, pandemic, 
for a lot of folks, it's been everything we can possibly do just to maintain the status quo and yes. keep moving forward. And especially when you're, you, you know, here, uh, I can do radio in my living room, which I'm doing right now. But if you're a naturalist, like the two of you are, that's got to be really tough because you, you, you can get out in the field, but you got to be really careful about it. Right, Mary? Yes, you, you do. And um, we've really worked um, nationally uh, to give people guidance about what can actually work. The biggest thing that's been hard for people is that even though we have all been restricted somewhat, the demand for gardening has not slowed down. In fact, um, we've seen a six times uh, the amount of traffic to our website for Garden for Resources, um, for oh. pollinator resources, and actually working, I've been working a lot in the last couple months with the garden trade to see um, and and see what garden centers were doing to guide people safely with curbside pickup and delivery. And a lot of these folks had to scramble um, uh, really instantaneously to become, you know, web experts and uh, online platform pay uh, systems. Um, it's really been amazing. And in our network, we've been working with nature centers and native plant societies and our network of community wildlife habitats where they have plant sales every spring. So all these plant sales, it was a complete reconfiguration of how yeah, to get yeah. the plants to the public. We, we had the same thing here. We, we have a comprehensive list of plant sales on my website, and uh, we were scrambling to get all the right information. Uh, we've got less than a minute left, but uh, uh, Jill, give me uh, 45 seconds about what you're up to during this pandemic. Yeah, thanks. So, um I think you know we've we've talked a little bit on your show before um, about the rusty patch bumblebee, so right. the critically endangered species. Um, one of the things that so that's a lot a lot of what our office does is we work on threatened endangered species recovery. So that is one of kind of our priority species, um, and it, as kind of an outreach tool, but in general, just kind of how to, uh, another way to learn more about bumblebees in general. Mm -hmm. um, we have what we call the backyard bumblebee count that is going to be taking place the end of uh, July, July 24th through August 2nd. I'll tell you That's what, hold hold that thought and we'll get back to the backyard bumblebee okay. count. Uh, when we return, okay. that is Jill Utrup and Mary Phillips. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We'll be right back. The world has changed. A year ago, you were growing food because it was fun. Now it's important. That's why you need Happy Leaf LED grow lights. Thanks to the best science, the wavelengths are tuned to your plant's needs. They're versatile, they're elegant, they have a five-year warranty, and they're made in America. Peggy and I are huge fans. Go to MikeNovak.net for the code to save 5% on your purchase. Go to HappyLeafLED.com to get more information. Happy Leaf, it's about the light. This is Peggy Malecki from the Smart Talk Radio Network. And speaking of being smart, even if some businesses are reopening, COVID-19 is still a very contagious disease. So if you go out, continue to practice social distancing and don't be pressured into doing things that you don't think are safe. You'll be protecting yourself and the ones you love and all of us. In other words, if you don't like wearing a mask, you'll hate being on a ventilator. Please continue to be smart and stay healthy. COVID-19 messed with a lot of things this year, but the Chicago Excellence in Gardening Awards still wants to see your garden. SEGA announces the 60-second garden video challenge. Take your cell phone or camera out to your yard and show us in one creative minute why your garden is special. 
Siegel will post the videos on their YouTube page where viewers can vote for their favorite gardens. And yes, there will be prizes. Go to ChicagoGardeningAwards.com or click the logo at MikeNovak.net. Welcome to Keep Eating Healthy. Our friends at Eden Place Farms are offering affordable local CSA shares with a twist. You pay for these organically grown boxes of vegetables each week as you receive them. You can skip deliveries without penalty and even get custom orders to eliminate allergens and unwanted items. Best of all, you're supporting a Chicago-based operation whose goal is to provide affordable, high-quality organic produce to the region. Go to EdenPlaceFarms.org or click on the Keep Eating Healthy logo at MikeNovak.net. From small boat to your table with complimentary no-contact delivery. Sitka Salmon Shares brings traceable wild Alaskan seafood direct from their small boat fishermen to your home. They're a community-supported fishery offering shares of their harvest just like your local CSA. Wild caught in season and with respect for the limits of the ocean. Responsibly harvested, hand-processed, blast-frozen, and vacuum-sealed. Sign up today. Use promo code MIKE25 for $25 off your share. Visit SitkaSalmonShares.com. Welcome to Keep Eating Healthy. If you're looking for something to literally spice up a meal, look no further than Backyard Patch Herbs. They grow, harvest, dry, and blend their herb mixes. And they're chemical-free. No gluten, no salt, and no preservatives. Dips, dressings, rubs, cooking mixes, soup mixes, herbal teas, and more. Use the code MIKE10 and get 10% off your purchase. Go to BackyardPatch.com or click on the Keep Eating Healthy logo at MikeNovak.net. From the field mice to brown bats Conceal, don't feel, just do not mow Well now you know Let it grow, let it grow Don't cut it back anymore Let it grow, <laughs> let it grow Turn away and let the wildflowers show Erosion doesn't bother me anyway. I like the uh, don't don't mow. There's a there, <laughs> there we go. There's a message again. That's from uh, Samuel S. Lewis State Park. Uh, somebody I, I don't know. I think somebody sent it to me, and uh, so I Is grabbed. That when when naturalists have too much time on their hands. Exactly. That's what happened. Well, see, because like uh, the naturalists we have on our show today, Mary Phillips and Jill Utrip. Um, they're stuck in the office yeah. sometimes and not that guy though. Yeah. Except Mary and Jill, we don't expect you to break into song. Um, <laughs> unless you want to, unless you want to, uh, Mary Phillips is, uh, from the national wildlife federation. Jill Utrip is from the U S fish and wildlife service. We're talking about, our, our pollinator friends today. And, uh, we left, uh, with you, Jill talking, uh, about bumblebees, and the challenge you have coming up, explain that again. Let's start that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we started talking about the backyard bumblebee count, and this is actually a project that's run through iNaturalist. Um, if what, what, familiar, what is what is iNaturalist? Yeah, if folks aren't familiar with iNaturalist, it's um, it's it's a citizen science kind of um, application. Um, folks can actually go to the website and sign up for it, or actually you can just add an app to your phone. It's pretty simple. 
But um, basically, you know, it allows you to, if you have a question about, if you're kind of wondering, I guess, about a plant that you're looking at and wondering what species it is, you can actually use the app to kind of figure out what it is. And also you can record that, you know, that uh, particular, particular record. And it gives us really great information in terms of different species out there. Um, and with, with uh, this backyard bumblebee count, this is actually a project through iNaturalist and it's kind of a targeted time frame. So we're, we're looking at um, the end of July through beginning of August, because that's kind of a time that um, in general, bumblebees are most active. Um, and, and so it kind of gives us a, a, a quick, a little slice into kind of um, their overall abundance and trends over the years in terms of not just our endangered rusty patch bumblebee, but bumblebee uh, populations in general. So Right, rusty patch is, is sort of the poster child for uh, bumblebees right now and bumblebee decline but there's a lot of species um i i want to ask you about the bumblebees and identification but first you mentioned apps online apps for finding and mary this question is addressed to you as well um i find that those online identification apps are often not very good um can you tell me you're nodding uh, uh and because i'm wondering if you had experience with good ones because they I get, I even now I get the pop-ups from, I, you know, I signed up for one of the apps and every week they're sending me, hey, check out the new version of the app. And, and I, I've tried them and I'm like, eh, they sometimes really don't come through. How, which are the good ones, Jill? Well, you know, I, I, I think that is a, an issue for sure. Um, I've, I've found actually that iNaturalist is pretty reliable. Um, and, and really, I mean, there's a little bit more vetting that goes along with those identifications. So once you do submit um, a, a particular record and it kind of, so basically the app gives you, if you're not sure what it is, it gives you kind of a drop down in its best guess based on kind of records that have been submitted previously. Um, so then, you know, you go with maybe kind of that its best guess um, and submit that. And then you have a further verification that needs to happen. So then someone else will, will kind of check and double check your work and make sure that that's indeed seems to be the kind of the right, um, uh, you know, uh, species that it's coming up with. So I might have to, I'll have to check the iNaturalist mm -hmm. uh, app. So what about you, Mary? Have you found? Yeah. Sure. Um, yeah, our, um, uh, iNaturalist is amazing, and we often refer people to iNaturalist as well, as well as um, the bumblebee count that um, Jill was talking about. Um, we also, just for general like scientific information and identification, we actually released this past year a whole series of nature um, guide apps, um, and these are based on uh, the field guides we had for decades, and they've been put into an app style um, uh format that you can download that information and I'll send you all a link to, to put on the website for those. What's the um, app called, Mary? It's um, well, there it's a series of them. The okay. Native, um, apps. And we have one called like a bundle called wings, winged wonders and it's butterflies, bees um, and other insects. So there's a variety of resources there, but I, I found the same thing, Mike. Um, they all are, they all have their strengths and they all mm -hmm. have businesses out there. Um, pollinator partnership, another partner of ours in the million pollinator garden challenge um uh also has a insight app and it also helps you identify not only um you can take a picture of um uh insects on a on a plant and it gives you actually um both that information so there's a variety of uh of b particularly um apps out there mm -hmm. 
Okay, so which takes us back to bumblebees and the rusty patch. Uh, it's so interesting. Every time I see a bumblebee in my yard, and I get them, I get a lot of bumblebees in my yard, uh, probably because I grow a lot of plants. Um, and I don't, I don't know how people can do an ID that quickly uh, to tell if it's a rusty patch bumblebee or not, because it's a fairly subtle marking. Uh, and there are other bumblebees that have uh, golden stripes as well. How do you do that, Jill? Yeah, great question. So yeah, there are some kind of, there are some confusing other species that look very similar. Um, but, you know, I, I think what would, what is probably helpful for folks is, is actually we have a lot of different training tools that are available. Um, one of our, one of our partners that we work with very regularly, and um, I know you talked with Dr. Elaine Evans previously, she's with right. Minnesota Extension. Um, so in light of COVID, we haven't been able to have many in-person bumblebee trainings um, for some of our, their volunteers that are going out and doing kind of some of these formal bumblebee surveys. Um, so they actually recorded one of their trainings recently and put that online. So there's, uh, it's about, a, it's a little over an hour. Um, so they have that trainings available free for folks to download and, and kind of get some initial training before they go out and do these surveys. Um, and then they have a whole bunch of other uh, training resources as well, which is really helpful because, yeah, it, there are some very subtle differences. And one of the species that looks very similar is the brown-belted uh, bumblebee. It does have kind of a rust spot, only, and it's a very subtle difference because on the abdomen of the bee, it actually doesn't have yellow surrounding that rust spot. Mm -hmm. So um, so I think some of those different training materials really help because they kind of go through some of those different lookalike species and <laughs> compare and contrast. So you can really kind of um, figure out, you know, the differences or um, provided they hold still. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which they don't. Of course, they're they're moving. They're working. They're working hard out there. OK, so. And that's a good point, too, because actually that's why we another reason we kind of target that time frame is because some of the plants that are out um, the, the, the bees, I mean, some of the plant or this, uh, flowers that are out right now, they're not necessarily spending as much time nectaring in one spot. So it is kind of rather difficult to kind of get a good photo, yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, our bergamot or well bergamot, um, some of those other species are going to start popping here pretty soon. Yeah. And that's a, that's a bergamot, that's a bergamot plant in the photo you took. It is. Yes. Yes, and that's where, I mean, a lot of the uh, records we're mm -hmm. finding them on is actually, you know, on a wild bergamot, so. Yeah. Well, well here and, we are, um, Mary, uh, Mary uh, in a, even before COVID, yes. uh, you, you told me that uh, Americans were paying attention to yes. birds, bees, and butterflies, and you say over the last three years, 64.1 million. Yes. Uh, or one in four American adults yes. purchased a plant because it was beneficial. So tell us about yes. that uh, survey. Sure. Yeah. So we're really excited. We partnered with um, National Garden Association, who's for 20 years now has been doing a National Gardening Trends um, survey of the American public. And we were able to ask specific questions to uh, gardening for wildlife. So one of our questions was how many um, Americans actually purchase um, plants because they know it'll help either bees, birds, or butterflies. And that's the statistic, Mike, you were just sharing. 
um, one in four have done that in the last three years. Um, and this was particularly obviously rewarding uh, because of all the work we did in trying to raise awareness at scale through the Million Pollinator Garden Challenge over these years. But also just to know that folks really are conscious of what they're planting makes a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, another statistic there is that we also have seen an increase in, um, well, we have a baseline now, we hopefully we'll see an increase next year of people who actually knew they were purchasing a native plant. And that was yeah. in seven people, because uh, that's always important. They might be like, hey, <laughs> this house is <laughs> Mary, that's funny. I mean, people buying plants to get home. Hey, look, it's a native. Well, yes. <laughs> I, one one would hope we're kind of beyond that, but I, I can see where that's No, a, especially from a big box store. It's not yeah. obvious. Yeah, yeah, I guess not. Or a native R, because uh, we've yes. had our, uh, you know mm-hmm. conversations about yes. is a native R really a native plant? And it has a lot of the uh, attributes of native plants, but yeah. is it exactly the same? And it's hard to yeah. know. Yeah. And with native R's, um, that is a question and you need to look at them. But if they have still kept in their breeding the attributes that are beneficial to wildlife, like actor and pollen, um, then it's still, we feel okay to have in a garden landscape. Um, so that's, but that is a touchy question, um, especially <laughs> not in a restoration uh, area or anything like that, but uh, it's definitely one that we've dealt with. And the other uh, statistic is we had one out of nine Americans have consciously, um, our plant either have done it or are planning to transform a portion of their lawn to natural or wildflower landscape. Fantastic. Well, let's, get let's get into that. We got a break here. It's the Mike yes. Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We're talking pollinators. Stick around and ask a question. We'll be right back. Mosquitoes transmit deadly diseases like Zika and West Nile virus, but Summit Mosquito Dunks kill mosquitoes before they're old enough to bite. Just float an organic mosquito dunk in ponds, bird baths, and any standing water to kill mosquito larvae for 30 days or longer. Don't worry, Mosquito Dunks won't harm people, pets, fish, or wildlife. Mosquito Dunks, available at fine garden centers, hardware stores, and online. Visit SummitResponsibleSolutions.com. Whether you're working 500 square feet in your backyard or a 1,000-acre farm, it's all about the soil biology. The folks at Blazing Star get it, which is why they work with industry leader Tinyo Biologicals. Tinyo seed treatments and foliar fertilizers can be used on all types of crops to improve plant health and overall production. Take it from the people who transformed a depleted former cornfield into a vibrant native landscape. Go to blazing-star.com, and while you're there, check out their pollinator packets. Welcome to Keep Eating Healthy. The folks at Prairie Fruits Farm and Creamery raise more than 100 goats on their Champaign, Illinois farm. The herd is pasture-based, the goat milk is seasonal, and they're animal welfare approved by A Greener World. They offer a wide range of fresh shove, including plain, herbs Provence, cracked peppercorn, and seasonal flavors. Try one of their exquisite bloomies or a goat milk feta. Go to prairiefruits.com or click on the Keep Eating Healthy logo at mikenovak.net. Being a meteorologist, you see things daily that can be related or not related to climate change. And then you separate that from the climate science and the social policies. So it's almost like teaching three classes. The meteorology, which is short-term, the climate, which is long-term, and then the policy, which is government, whether or not it's federal, state, or local. I'm meteorologist Rick DeMaio. Stick around for some more insight into weather and climate on WCGO 1590, Chicago Smart Talk. Ooh, somewhere 
I had to play this too. I just thought we need something just kind of get a ukulele in there and get that somewhere over the rainbow <laughs> song. And uh, everybody loves that version of it. Welcome back to the Mike Novak show with Peggy. Like, I don't even remember the guy who's doing it. I, I should know his name by now, but Peggy will, will track it down for me. Uh, we've got uh, Jill Utrup, uh, fish and wildlife biologist uh, with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service uh, from Minnesota uh, on the Zoom with us, Mary Phillips. Uh, the Senior Director of Garden for Wildlife with the National Wildlife Federation. Um, she's also involved with the National Pollinator Garden Network and the Million Pollinator Garden Challenge. And Whoa, is that me? Hello, I'm hearing ukulele. I'm not sure what's going on. Uh, is that you? On, Nancy, is that on your end there? It's ukulele? gone. Okay, it's there it gone. goes. But that is uh, Israel somebody. I can't think of his last <laughs> okay. name. He's got a real long last name, but... Yeah, I know. That's why I can't remember it. Uh, during the break, uh, Mary, uh, you were talking about the response during the pandemic to uh, helping pollinators uh, yes. in backyards. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. So we have just been inundated and really more than pleasantly surprised at the outreach. Um, we were, Every year we run a, a campaign called Butterfly Heroes and we get... Uh, funders to give us so much money so that we could actually distribute free pollinator garden starter kits um, to people who pledged to be a butterfly hero. And we were really excited that we had 15,000 to distribute. And um, in May, we had over 65,000 people respond. Wow. Want to actually be butterfly heroes and plant for wildlife and particularly obviously pollinators and um, butterflies. And um, that's just one example of what we're seeing. We also um, are the program Garden for Wildlife has had the standing certified wildlife habitat designation um, for 47 years now. And we thought, gosh, we'll be a great goal by 2021. We'll, we'll reach 250,000 of those nationwide. We're going to hit 250,000 this uh, month uh, in July. Uh, we have had double the amount of people planting for pollinators and other wildlife and certifying their yards um, the, the record year in 47 years and double the amount um, already uh, just for this year from last year. Wow. So it's been absolutely amazing. And our friends and colleagues in the garden trade um, just blown away at, you know, the demand. People have found this to be so therapeutic. So as much as they do, you know, are wanting to help the pollinators, which is also empowering, you can do something positive, you can help something when you're feeling a little helpless during all of this. It's also being out in nature, getting the vitamin D, getting the fresh air, being in the green, it is so stress, stress reducing. And the, the, the people just keep responding and asking. And it's just, it's really been heartening to be able to, I, I didn't expect, I thought, oh, it'll be good, you know, maybe it'll be a little bit up, but we had no no sense of the demand. It's been really, really amazing. It's stress reducing unless you're doing a one hour tour for a dark <laughs> yeah. club. Well, that's uh, you. Like, yeah. I did, like I did on Friday and I was yes. Yes, but you're a professional. We don't ask people to do that at home. Do not try yes. this at home, folks. But, <laughs> but to your point, your 60 second video will give people a little fun opportunity to show off all yeah. the wonderful work they've been doing yeah and let's hope this this trend stays you know gardening's yeah. been growing as a trend now hopefully this focusing on the pollinators and the native gardens people finally are starting to get yeah and by the way all that information is on my website on uh, the blog for today's show go to mikenovak.net m-i-k-e-n-o-w-a-k.net i've got the link to the butterfly heroes to uh 
to the native plant finder um, and to the million pollinator garden challenge and that the national wildlife federation all of it uh and i and i see that you guys work with dr doug tallamy he's been yes. on the show mm-hmm. uh yeah. a number of times and you know he's he has single-handedly changed the world i mean he has uh, which is pretty amazing. There are very few people who t- take an idea and run with it the way he did and ha- have it resonate so much. Yes. Let's go, let's go back to Jill then. So what about you? What's, what's been happening during the pandemic with you? Um, you know, we, we've been kind of keeping busy too. I mean, I, I think um, like what, what we talked about earlier with this backyard bumblebee count, we're actually going to be using this project for other means as well. So some of our partners, you know, that aren't able to do this kind of face-to-face kind of typical style, um, larger bumblebee surveys um, that are in person are actually going to be their um pushing the folks that have, have been helping with them with those types of surveys in the past to our um, backyard bumblebee count, because it is really simple. I mean, folks can do it on their own and they can do it safely. Um, and, and actually you can do it in your own backyard or you can, mm-hmm. you know, in a neighborhood park or wherever. And, and kind of like Mary was saying, it is really therapeutic too, to just get out and watch some bumblebees for a little bit. So um, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds like fun to me. And now yeah. uh, I noticed that it's uh, I had the numbers right here. It's July 24th to August 2nd. So um, I'm going to take part. I'm going to go to the backyard bumblebee count. I've got that link up there and I've yep. got the link to the iNaturalist site uh, and just see what it's all about. It sounds like uh, a way to get involved. It's very cool, Jill. Yeah, excellent. And I can also send you those links to the different training resources as well, which I think will be really helpful for folks before they do get out um, next month. So perfect. Perfect. All right. So that leaves us uh, moving forward into the summer here. Uh, What, uh, Mary, do you hope to get accomplished other than 250,000 people joining you by the end of the summer? Well, we hope people continue to plant and actually start thinking about if they haven't already installed uh, plants that will bloom in the fall to get those in based on their zone. Um, and uh, we've got some plant lists um, on our website, um, as well as I know uh, Jill's uh, website does as well for um, where your uh, eco region is, um, what the best plants are. And uh, many of our plants, um, we actually have eco regional guides um, that actually Dr. Tallamy, who you mentioned before, actually worked with us on to create come from the native plant finder, um, which is a a tool we have that you put your zip code in and it will give Mm -hmm. you uh, plants that provide the highest number, host plants for the highest numbers of butterflies and moths, which also feed birds, by the way. Um, That's a really good tool to begin, um, continue planting your gardens. Uh, you know, as, as May Berenbaum said last week, moths are the heavy lifters. Um, yes. The bees and the butterflies uh, get all the glory, uh, but the moths are, are behind the scenes. There's many more moths out there and doing a, a lot of work. Right, Jill? Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, I know. Def- that's definitely correct. We don't <laughs> talk as much about moths as we do about the other uh, We're not as flashy. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> They can be, but you don't see the flashy ones very often. You know, I mean, when I was a kid and was fascinated by insects, all I said, someday I'm going to see a luna moth. It's going to be, it's going to show up on my porch. Well, I don't think that's going to ever happen, but uh, there, there are all kinds of things out there. Well, listen, thank you both for being on the show. As I mentioned, all of the information 
um, about uh, the National Wildlife Federation and the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service is on my website. Uh, go to MikeNovak.net, and um, I wish you guys both, and you got to keep us posted about what's what's happening in the wonderful world of pollinators. Um, we all need to do our part and, and help out. Uh, thank you, Mary Phillips. Thank you, Jill Utra. Uh, we will be back. We're talking about the Mackinac Bridge next. Uh, for those of you on the network, go green or go home. Welcome to the second hour of the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. This hour is brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root and bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good tools to make Welcome me to the second hour of the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. And uh, at the moment, we are busily. Ah, I'm seeing. Uh, There's Mr. Uh, McNeil. Mr. McNeil is there on the line. We are, oh, and, oh, and there's Liz. And there's Liz, too. Boy, just as I was about to tap dance here, I don't have to tap dance at all because our, our guests are showing up. Mitch, you can uh, unmute. And uh, there's Liz Kirkwood also on the phone, both of you. Uh, go ahead and unmute your, uh, your computers. Um, Liz, good, good morning. morning. Yeah. Good morning. So uh, tell us each where you are. Liz Kirkwood uh, is uh, an environmental attorney and executive director of For the Love of Water, also known as FLOW, F-L-O-W. Where are you uh, zooming in from? I'm zooming in from Traverse City, Michigan, where it's an absolutely beautiful day. Ah, wonderful. I hope it's a little less humid than it is here in Chicago today. Um, uh, Mitch? McNeil uh, chairs Surf Rider Chicago, is a friend of the show. It's always a pleasure to have you on the program. Um, and you're up in the wilds of Michigan somewhere as well, too, right, Mitch? Yeah, I'm, uh, can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm just north of the, uh, the Duck Lake Channel uh, outlet uh, near Whitehall, Montague, oh, okay. uh, north of Muskegon. Aha. Okay. Now, I'm familiar with... With all of that, because I grew up in Michigan, it's my home mm -hmm. state, and um, um, my folks used to drag all of us up to the uh, northern lower peninsula and into the UP, um, spent uh, a number of years uh, in, in rental cottages by the Straits of Mackinac. Mm -hmm. And let's clarify that, because people, um, they write it differently. They pronounce it differently. From what I remember, my misspent youth, it's spelled uh, Mackinac, but you pronounce it Mackinac. Is that right? Well, it, it's Mackinac with a W for Mackinac City and then Mackinac with a C for the island. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. And, and, and some people say, you know, there's Fort Mishla Mackinac. And uh, so that's where you get some of the Mackinac. It's yep. just that. So if you say Mackinac, or Mackinac, it's basically the same thing. Uh, so we know what you're talking about. It's just about. a matter of somebody looks at you and says, tourist. Right. Uh, <laughs> oh, and there's Mitch doing a screenshot of himself on. <laughs> it's hilarious. I've never done that before. I should do that, too. I, I may do that before. 
So, uh, so for those who are new to the show, you can go and watch us on Zoom. Uh, I'm sorry, on Facebook at the Mike Novak Show, as yeah, you well as on YouTube on and Zoom Periscope. Don't go on Zoom. Zoom. Yeah, you'd be on the show with us. Yes. Uh, so what folks need to know who are in other parts of the country, and, and a lot of Chicagoans know about Michigan, uh, that uh, Lake Michigan and Lake Huron come together at the Straits there, and it's about four miles across, and that's where the beautiful, beautiful Mackinac Bridge mm-hmm. is, um, but it's also a point where there's a pipeline, uh, what is called the Enbridge uh, 5 line uh, that goes across the Straits as well, and it's a pipeline that was built in 1953, so it's 67 years old. It's actually uh, two pipelines. Right. There's an east line and a west line, uh, and it they pump all kinds of gas and oil through that every day. Um, and I can't tell you how complex this story is. I was sitting yesterday writing my blog and trying to put all the pieces together. And you guys study this a lot. Mitch, not so much you, but certain, certainly Liz, you do. Um, it's, this story is, is complex and Byzantine in some ways. Um, so why don't you tell us... Uh, about the efforts, there have been efforts because the pipelines are just lying on the floor of the lake and have been for 67 years. And people are concerned that there could be uh, a leak because if there's one one thing you know about pipelines, they all leak, all of them. Uh, and if we if, if if we allow that to happen, the two two of the greatest freshwater bodies in the world will be contaminated. So that's our, that's our starting point. Uh, tell us about uh, what Flow is trying to do in regard to these pipelines. Well, thank you, Mike, for inviting me to the show. This is a, a real honor um, to talk with people in the Chicago area because what really unites us all are these Great Lakes. This is you know 20% of the planet's fresh surface water. And these are extraordinary resources that we must vigilantly protect. The story about line five is unique in that uh, 67 years ago, Enbridge could never have built these pipelines except that they were able to get express permission from the state of Michigan, who um, are the defenders and they're, they're the protectors of our public waters and public lands. And so the agreement between the state of Michigan and Enbridge is a very unique one, and it's a public trust easement. And that means that Enbridge has to comply and use due care, act like a reasonably prudent person, and follow all of the express terms of that agreement. Now, um, public trust law is complicated, and we're not going to be able to tease it out in less than 20 minutes. But (laughs) in a nutshell, what it says is that every state in the U.S. has a legal perpetual duty to protect those public trust waters and bottomlands in perpetuity for the benefit of the people. And the, um, the, the protection of the public's interest is paramount to that of any private interest. So in today's uh, mindset, we would never have placed a pipeline on the, you know, the lake bed floor in the heart of the Great Lakes. Uh, but 
they are there. It is a legacy that we have to address. Um, and Enbridge's uh, track record has been um, troubling, very, very troubling over the past 67 years. Um, on the land-based portions of this pipeline, it's leaked over 33 instances, leading to over a million gallons of oil into Michigan's land and water bodies. And including, if I may stop you there, including uh, a very infamous spill in Kalamazoo, actually Marshall, Michigan, in 2010, which was the greatest uh, inland spill in the history of the United States. More and Enbridge themselves counted uh, over a million gallons that spilled there in uh, Marshall. So you can imagine how much more actually leaked out of that pipe. Right. So that that um, that incident was uh, will be marking the 10 year anniversary on uh, July 25th, uh, 2020. Uh, and that was on Enbridge's other pipeline, Line 6B. So that crosses southern Michigan. And following that unbelievable di disaster that the National Transportation Safety Board described as, uh, um, you know, the Keystone cops uh, being in charge with this culture of, of real disrespect for um, pipeline safety. Um, uh, Enbridge was able to double the capacity of its pipeline to pump 800,000 barrels per day um, from, from Chicago to, um, to Stockbridge. And so it, it you know, it's unfortunate. Six B was that in six B? Yeah, line six B, which is now yes. named seventy eight. <laughs> yeah, let's uh, let's let's, <laughs> let's we'll, we'll change history yeah, here. Pay no attention know, behind yeah, the curtain. Right, right. We're just just changing the name here. Right, but the, I think the point just for listeners is to understand that uh, Enbridge has um, these two very very significant pipelines in the state of Michigan. Line six B carries heavy tar sands. Line five carries refined tar sands or light crude, but also about 20% of the product is uh, nat natural gas liquids. Mm -hmm. um, and in, um, and at following what Michigan's worst disaster uh, ever, Enbridge got permission to double its capacity, at which point would have been an ideal opportunity for the state of Michigan to decommission line five, given the extraordinary risk that it poses to our Great Lakes, to the treaty rights. Uh, there are five federally recognized tribes up in the Straits, and this, these are the spawning grounds for the whitefish that we all love to eat every mm -hmm. summer. Um, the uh, economic damage would be extraordinary. Um, you know, $6.3 billion impact uh, to property, to uh, tourism, um, not to mention the drinking water to over 50 million Michiganders. And imagine if we had a BP oil spill of that size in our Great Lakes. It, it would just be absolutely, you know, unfathomable. And, and I think, you know, that's why people all around the Great Lakes should be, should care about this. The economic impact would be devastating. Um, the, you mentioned the something. shipping would just yes. come to a grinding yes. halt. And I hadn't thought about that until yesterday. You and I had a very brief conversation, and you and I said, you know, the impacts would be felt, and you, and you said, but the shipping would just stop. 
you and just imagine the economic impact of that if there were an oil spill. Yeah. All right, we we need to break. Um, a couple of things I want to talk about when we come back is is the fact that Enbridge is not even an American company; it's a Canadian company, and and the oil is not American oil. Uh, and it's going through Michigan and right back into Canada. It was something that we need to know about. Uh, we have Liz Kirkwood from Flow for Love of Water, Mitch McNeil. And we will get to you, Mitch. Don't worry about it. Uh, from Surfrider Chicago, because there are uh, issues uh, with our water here in the Chicago area. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We'll be right back. Even during the COVID-19 outbreak, Bartlett tree experts are available to help you with your tree care issues. And now Bartlett is offering a new disinfectant application service for outdoor spaces. Because of their existing equipment, resources, and infrastructure, Bartlett has been able to make a quick transition to assist businesses and homeowners through the application of disinfectant products. They can apply to walkways, patios or decks, fences, gates, playground equipment, stadium seating, park benches, outdoor furniture and tables, and most other hardscape surfaces. While these disinfectants are EPA registered, you'll still want to consult with the Bartlett expert who can walk you through any environmental concerns you might have and how often the product will need to be used. Correct application is highly effective in controlling a wide range of germs and microbes that can cause many illnesses, including COVID-19. Give the folks at Bartlett Tree Experts a call because even in a pandemic, every tree and open space needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Welcome to Keep Eating Healthy. Joe's Blues brings Michigan's sweetest naturally grown pesticide-free blueberries to Chicago with 12 CSA drop-off sites in the area or get them at Chicago farmers markets. Joe's Blues also sells zero and low sugar blueberry preserves, pure dried berries, 35% cream ice cream, moisturizing soap, and more. Sign up now for safe social distancing you pick events this year. Go to joesblueberries.com or click on the Keep Eating Healthy logo at mikenovak.net. There's a new urgency for people to grow their own food. And thanks to Happy Leaf LED Grow Lights, your seedlings will be healthier with a better germination rate and faster growth. You'll get lower operating costs and higher yields. That's because the wavelengths are tuned to your plant's needs. They have a 50,000 plus hour minimum lifespan and they're made in America. Go to MikeNovak.net for the code to save 5% on your purchase and go to HappyLeafLED.com to get more information. Happy Leaf, it's about the light. Welcome to Keep Eating Healthy. If you're an omnivore, there's an alternative to factory farmed meats. Cedar Valley Sustainable Farms CSA brings you beef, pork, chicken, and eggs, all raised humanely, drug and hormone-free, with respect for the earth and the animals. And since the start of the COVID-19 emergency, they've been doing non-contact pickup at delivery locations throughout the city and suburbs. Go to CedarValleySustainable.com or click on the Keep Eating Healthy logo at MikeNovak.net. Since 2001, DiveHeart has been revolutionizing rehabilitation using zero gravity and scuba therapy to give confidence, independence, self-esteem, and yes, freedom to children, veterans, and others with disabilities. At DiveHeart, we believe in the power of partnership because together we can do great things. Let DiveHeart help you imagine the possibilities in your life. Go to DiveHeart.org to learn more. Sweet Mother Michigan, Father Superior, coming down from Mackinac and Sault Ste. Marie. Blue water here on, flow down to Lake Erie, fall to Ontario. 
run on out to sea. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Got to have a, a Lake Michigan song in there. There's plenty uh, been written over over the years. From what I understand, that that particular was a Shel Silverstein uh, song, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Um, anyway, we have Liz uh, Kirkwood on the Zoom with us from Flow for Love of Water and uh, Mitch McNeil from Surfrider Chicago. We're talking about the Straits of Mackinac, the Enbridge 5 pipeline, which uh, cuts right across parallel to the Mackinac Bridge, pretty much, uh, and what that means. Uh, when we broke, uh, I got into the subject of, of Enbridge, the Enbridge company, energy company. Uh, they're not even an American company. It's a Canadian company, and they're using the pipeline to, you know, they're using Michigan as a shortcut because they don't want to go around uh, Lake Superior and build a pipeline there. Uh, and send their oil to Canada. And a lot of that oil doesn't even end up in Michigan, as far as I know. So what's going on with the deference to this company? Is it just typical deference that we, our governments uh, in the United States do to uh, fossil fuel companies? Or is there something else going on here, uh, Liz? When I think about what is at stake and, and how, what, what is the legacy that brought um, a pipeline uh, to be located in, in one of the most dangerous locations on the planet? I, I really, I have to think about what it was like back in 1953. We came out of World War II and there was a real sense that, that uh, humans could do the impossible. Uh, and this was one of the, the first pipelines that was ever built um, underwater across such a vast dis distance. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, at the time, I think there was a lot of thought about innovation and progress. And we didn't have that same um, care of an understanding of what an oil spill would do to, you know, um, to a, to a, such a, an ecologically important place like the Great Lakes. And so, um, unfortunately, I think that's, that's how it really ended up there. But, you know, even under the uh, Governor Snyder administration, um, you know, there, uh, I, I think one thing that, that's really clear is that it doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on, nobody would have built or authorized a pipeline like this today. Um, we, we understand a lot more. And, um, and yet there it sits. And yeah. now the question is what to do with it. And you mentioned governor Snyder, Rick Snyder was governor until 2018 and then got replaced by Gretchen Whitmer and, uh, and the attorney general as well, Dana Nessel. And she campaigned on the issue of getting rid of the Enbridge five pipeline. I wonder how much that had to do with their election. Uh, in Michigan, is 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 it a big issue, or is it? Oh just yes, yes. I I mean, let's be clear. I mean, Line Five was the definitive environmental issue in the 2018 election. Absolutely, mm -hmm. um, you know, and and both uh, AG Dana Nessel and Governor Whitmer campaigned on it. Um, and you know, I, I will say that Attorney General Dana Nessel has just been. Uh, an extraordinary champion for the Great Lakes with um, Line 5 and has it last year, actually, this is remarkable, 
uh, exactly a year ago, um, June 27th, she filed the legal action to revoke the easement um, that that allows and authorizes Enbridge to essentially be a tenant there with you know conditional permission. And um, and then of course on uh, Monday, um, she filed a, a TRO, a temporary restraining order, and a preliminary injunction to shut and halt the flow of oil in this pipeline because of the discovery of, of recent damage um, from one of these anchor supports that is trying to brace this pipeline on the lake bed because there's massive erosion and extremely powerful currents that were not anticipated with the original engineering design. Uh, yeah, now that's, uh, there's a lot to digest there. Uh, as you say, um, uh, Dana Nessel, the attorney general, filed uh, last year to revoke the easement rights. Uh, and actually, that's the case that a couple of weeks ago was uh, turned back in court. And then, you know, days later, literally, um, Enbridge says, oh, yeah, there was some damage. Oh, by the way. Yeah, by the way, um, we, we, we're not going to give you the specifics of it. We're actually not going to show you what happened. But uh, we checked it out. And the east line, yeah, we're going to kind of shut it down for a little bit. We've reopened the, the west line. And, of course, the, the governor uh, was outraged. Uh, Gretchen Whitmer was outraged mm-hmm. because they did it without coming to the state and saying this had happened. There's absolutely no transparency here. That had to be an outrage yeah. to environment, and, environmentalists throughout the state. And I was going to say, and then Thursday, the circuit court judge that came in and put another temporary cease on operations. Yeah, no, the governor was just outraged because, um, you know, Enbridge did not provide uh, the, the type of evidence that is warranted um, you know, when you have, when you have a crisis like this, mm-hmm. uh, they, um, this is a really important point is that since 2014, with the exception of the year 2015, Enbridge has had a, uh, remote operator operated vehicle, an ROV, which does a visual inspection of this pipeline every year. So they do both internal investigations and then external investigations, and every time they go, they have divers and they put, um, they do the ROVs in the water, they discover some other violation. Mm-hmm. And remember, um, this pipeline, the, the original design was to rest on the lake bed floor. The currents are almost double what the Bechtel engineers designed um, back in 1953. And as a result, for the past 20 years, Enbridge has basically put this pipeline on life support. And they've done that by creating this anchoring system, which are basically a number of braces, um, because it's it's shifting and torquing all over the lake bed. Um, and the all right, I, I got it. We got to hold it right there. Here's yep. our break, and we'll come back. We'll finish the story and talk about the proposed tunnel to okay. put the pipe in. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. 
Now more than ever, whether you're a farmer or a backyard grower, it's important to protect the life of your soil. The folks at Blazing Star understand that, which is why they distribute Tinyo Biologicals. For 30 years, Tinyo seed treatments and foliar fertilizers have benefited both large and small organic growers. Many products are OMRI certified for fields or indoor growing. Go to blazing-star.com and check out their BioGarden line for home gardeners. Welcome to Keep Eating Healthy. The folks at Prairie Fruits Farm and Creamery raise more than 100 goats on their Champaign, Illinois farm. The herd is pasture-based, the goat milk is seasonal, and they're animal welfare approved by A Greener World. They offer a wide range of fresh shove, including plain, herbs Provence, cracked peppercorn, and seasonal flavors. Try one of their exquisite bloomies or a goat milk feta. Go to prairiefruits.com or click on the Keep Eating Healthy logo at mikenovak.net. COVID-19 messed with a lot of things this year, but the Chicago Excellence in Gardening Awards still wants to see your garden. SEGA announces the 60-second Garden Video Challenge. Take your cell phone or camera out to your yard and show us in one creative minute why your garden is special. SEGA will post the videos on their YouTube page where viewers can vote for the best. Yes, there will be prizes. Go to chicagogardeningawards.com or click the logo at mikenovak.net. From small boat to your table with complimentary no-contact delivery. Sitka Salmon Shares brings traceable wild Alaskan seafood direct from their small boat fishermen to your home. They're a community-supported fishery offering shares of their harvest just like your local CSA. Wild caught in season and with respect for the limits of the ocean. Responsibly harvested, hand-processed, blast-frozen, and vacuum-sealed. Sign up today. Use promo code MIKE25 for $25 off your share. Visit SitkaSalmonShares.com. We're the Great Lakes. We separate Canada from the United States. The Great Lakes are the largest body of fresh water on Earth today. We're the Great Lakes. There are only five of us to celebrate the Great Lakes. Come visit all of us and you'll appreciate. I'm Lake Michigan. Uh, can, you, can, can you tell which one is uh, that I got from a children's network? Okay. Uh, welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Uh, but I, I heard that. I went, oh, yeah, I'm playing. I'm so playing that song. Uh, we are talking about the Enbridge La- 5 pipeline across the Straits of Mackinac. Um, we have uh, Liz Kirkwood from For Love of Water and Mitch McNeil from Surfrider Chicago. Mitch, I'm going to give you your chance here. One of the things we were talking about during the break um, is the unprecedented water levels, which throws an, a monkey wrench into all of this right now. You're experiencing that up where you are right now, right? Yeah, I'm I'm on the lake, and uh, we we certainly have a, a ringside seat to the uh, tremendous and unprecedented spike in the water levels. You know, it was only in 2013 that we had waters water levels so low that uh, the people that own marinas around here were thinking about going out of business. There was not enough water to float the boats. Yeah, so you're I, up in Whitehall and Montague. Yeah, so White Lake is the nearest. White Lake. lake. Uh, yeah. And in seven short years, uh, we've just seen it spike up to uh, what I think is a record high. And uh, the, the geological uh, kind of bell curve for high and low water usually uh, says there's about 20 years between, between a low and a high. Uh, they've been keeping records going back you know, less than 200 years. So we're on some sort of new uh, kind of on steroids spike here. 
that uh, I can only think uh, comes from uh, climate disruption. Yeah, we talk about it on the show all the time. In fact, in our next segment, our meteorologist, Rick DeMaio, uh, we'll we'll ask him about water levels there. We just had a lot of rain this week again. So uh, it, it just continues. Uh, and there's a possibility we will hit uh, a new high this year, uh, surpassing the one in 1986. Um, we'll get back to you in a second, Mitch. Let's get back to uh, Liz. And we were talking about how uh, this fight to uh, uh, over the right of way is there and what Enbridge is doing with this very fragile pipeline uh, in the bottom of, as you say, one of the most dangerous parts of the planet uh, because of all the currents that are there. It is very wild up there. If you've never been in the Straits, you think, well, it's a great lake, but they're huge. <laughs> and it's four miles uh, of pipeline uh, on the bottom of the lake floor. So uh, a couple of years ago, uh, Enbridge says, oh, we can fix that. We'll, we'll dig a tunnel, and we'll put the pipelines in a tunnel. You know, mission accomplished. And, of course, uh, the Snyder administration passed the uh, approval of that with, like, uh, two seconds to spare uh, before they were ousted. Um, and now there's court battles about whether all of that was legal. So where does that stand right now, the idea of a tunnel, Liz? Well, first of all, I want to just... Um, really underscore the fact that the issue about the tunnel is really a distraction from the most important issue for anybody living in the Great Lakes, which is that Line 5 continues to operate every single day, pumping 23 million gallons of oil through the heart of the Great Lakes. When um, Before we go and, and start thinking about building a tunnel, um, remember, this pipeline is part of a very complex system that uh, there are pipeline battles in Minnesota with line three, which is line five is connected. This is, mm. this is, you know, these are connected to the tar sands, which are the dirtiest fossil fuels on the planet. Um, and at a time uh, in a post, uh, you know, a global pandemic, what we're, what we are seeing is that we can and we must pivot um, absolutely now um, to renewable energies. And so, the issue of whether or not we even need line five is um, has has been, you know, thwarted because Enbridge has decided that the tunnel is the best option. Well, the tunnel is the best option for Enbridge, but what about the state of Michigan? Because if you build a, you know, a, they say it's only five hundred million dollars. Well, it could be, you know, a billion or two billion, dep depending on uh, tectonics and other very serious issues. Um, you have to rebuild the entire rest of the pipeline, and we're going to end up with a stranded asset that we we don't need. Um, because, you know, as Peggy had pointed out earlier, the majority, 90% of, of the, the product in this pipeline comes and goes back to Canada. Um, there is very little economic benefit to uh, the state of Michigan. And most importantly, there are very smart options um, and we're reducing using you know existing pipelines, but but more importantly, the there we are becoming you know um, we can see there is a shift. Uh, renewable energies are taking in, in a very important um, role in our energy portfolio, and in fact, they are outpacing. Um, you know, I mean, coal is off the table. Coal is no longer uh, the um, 
you know, it, it's just, it's not part of the portfolio that we even talk about. It's, yeah. it's extraordinary how things, how rapidly things are changing. That's the point. And here. the price of oil figures into it, right? Absolutely. Yes. Thank you. I mean, you think about um, just, you know, seven years ago where the, you know, for a barrel of oil, it was not over $95 a barrel of oil. And now it's, I mean, it was, remember, it was going into the negative numbers negative a couple of weeks. Yeah. Right? Unheard of. Um, so, you know, there's um, w the, the idea of a tunnel is is really, uh, I think, really foolhardy when you think about um, what we really should be investing in. What is the energy future that we want and where are the other jobs? I mean, let's talk about uh, rebuilding our water infrastructure. That is the most important thing yeah. that all of our communities need. If you can't have access to safe, affordable, clean water, you can't build things. You can't live. Um, let's follow the money for a second. We know that Enbridge benefits from the pipeline. We know that the people of Michigan really do not. Uh, the numbers don't add up. Who's benefiting from this? Why is there such a push to keep this pipeline going? This is about, you know, shareholder investments and, uh, you know, and, and this is uh, a piece of infrastructure that, that has been paid off. I mean, it's 67 years old. Uh, Enbridge is uh, fighting in, in Minnesota to um, rebuild line, line three, and they are facing lots of uh, bumps in the road uh, because there's there's very fierce um, uh, collaboration between tribes and the people of Minnesota who who don't want you know another uh, tar sands pipeline um, being there. But, I'm gonna get, uh, yeah. I, we're, we're gonna have to get to 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 Mitch here. Mm -hmm. Let me just final question for you. Um, what do you think the final outcome is going to be on this? Do you have a do you have a sense of that? Are you asking Mitch or me? Uh, no, I'm asking you. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, um, what I'll just say very quickly is that um, on Tuesday, we have a preliminary hearing um, to see what happens. And this is going to be um, the, you know, under the rule of law, Enbridge has the burden, not only to show that they can, you know, protect this, this pipeline, but they have to, to show that this pipeline condition that's located in the strait complies with our public trust law. Mm -hmm. And they, they have to show that this issue with the anchor, it's not that um, they're gonna say that it's you know, this isolated and fixable issue, but remember there are 200 supports um, right. that are elevating this kind of underwater suspension bridge. And this, this could happen again and Absolutely. again and again. Yeah. All right. Mitch, let's go to you uh, because uh, you, you keep an eye on the lower end of Lake Michigan around Indiana and uh, Illinois. Uh, what are you working on right now? Well, for the past three years, we've been working on a legal action against U.S. Steel. Uh, in 2017, they discharged... Uh, uh, hundreds of pounds of hexavalent chromium into a waterway that feeds into Lake Michigan. Mm -hmm. uh, they were uh, given a slap on the wrist uh, financial uh, penalty from uh, the government, $600,000. Uh, 
and a, uh, uh, a consent decree that has no teeth. So we've been, uh, we've been fighting that uh, every step of the way. And it's been, uh, it's been pretty tough. Uh, you know, we're, we're fighting an uphill battle uh, with um, U.S. Steel. They're kind of, they seem to be buddy-buddy with this administration, uh, anti-regulatory administration that it is. You mean the uh, national administration? Yeah, uh, and then the state of Indiana is also really friendly to industry. So, and we haven't yet mentioned the words Republican or Democrat yet, although everybody in the world knows what we're talking about here. Okay. Do I have to? <laughs> uh, no, you don't. Uh, so it's been an uphill battle, um, and for this period of time, I think mostly it's been about raising awareness uh, on what's going on in the South End. And it's not just U.S. Steel, it's ArcelorMittal. They put a bunch of ammonia in the water last summer that killed thousands of fish. So that's a separate legal battle that's being uh, shouldered by some other environmental groups. And, uh, we're, we're kind of cheering them on from the sidelines. But uh, I, I do want to mention there was a... Uh, high you, got like, you got like 10 seconds, make it quick. Okay, yeah, there's a high court case uh, involving groundwater that has given us new uh, kind of ammunition to fight this uh, groundwater being part of the clean water act so we're, we're attacking it from a new angle now and so, you're getting a thumbs up from liz so thank yeah. you so much yeah, thanks, Mitch mcneil there's information on surfrider chicago at my website liz kirkwood there's information about for love of water thank you both we will keep up to date on this we will be back with rick DeMaio after this Mosquitoes transmit deadly diseases like Zika and West Nile virus, but Summit Mosquito Dunks kill mosquitoes before they're old enough to bite. Just float an organic mosquito dunk in ponds, bird baths, and any standing water to kill mosquito larvae for 30 days or longer. Don't worry, mosquito dunks won't harm people, pets, fish, or wildlife. Mosquito Dunks, available at fine garden centers, hardware stores, and online. Visit SummitResponsibleSolutions.com. Welcome to Keep Eating Healthy. If you're looking for something to literally spice up a meal, look no further than Backyard Patch Herbs. They grow, harvest, dry, and blend their herb mixes. And they're chemical-free. No gluten, no salt, and no preservatives. Dips, dressings, rubs, cooking mixes, soup mixes, herbal teas, and more. Use the code MIKE10 and get 10% off your purchase. Go to BackyardPatch.com or click on the Keep Eating Healthy logo at MikeNovak.net. Welcome to Keep Eating Healthy. Our friends at Eden Place Farms are offering affordable local CSA shares with a twist. You pay for these organically grown boxes of vegetables each week as you receive them. You can skip deliveries without penalty and even get custom orders to eliminate allergens and unwanted items. Best of all, you're supporting a Chicago-based operation whose goal is to provide affordable, high-quality organic produce to the region. Go to EdenPlaceFarms.org or click on the Keep Eating Healthy logo at MikeNovak.net. Stay in touch with The Mike Novak Show. Find us on Facebook and YouTube at The Mike Novak Show. Use the Twitter handle at MikeNow. Send us a photo on Instagram at The Mike Novak Show or write to us, Mike at MikeNovak.net or also at TheGreenDivas.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and on the Smart Talk Radio Network. Podcasts and blog posts are available every week at MikeNovak.net. Sign up to get our newsletter on the homepage and support the sponsors who support us. Look for logos and specials at MikeNovak.net. What's the weather? It's sunny. What's the weather? It's rainy altogether. That's the weather. 
Sun, rain, wind, storm, hot, cold, cool, warm. What's the weather? It's cloudy. What's the weather? It's windy altogether. That's the weather. Welcome back to the Mike Novak the Show with Peggy Malecki. I don't even remember where I got that. I'm thinking <laughs> we'll have to we make that uh, Rick's theme song. It's time for meteorologist Rick DeMaio. And Rick, I don't know if you were listening to the previous. You, you, mean, you, mean, you mean P.J. Huff. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? What? You mean, you mean P.J. Huff, if you're going to play that music, right? Uh, I don't know who you're referring to. Sorry. No idea. P.J. Hoff. P.J. Hoff was the legendary meteorologist in Chicago uh, back in the 50s and 60s. Oh, well, I grew up in Detroit, so we had Sonny Elliott. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you had Sonny Elliott. I worked with Sonny Elliott for a while. Uh, did you really? I did, too, at WWJ. So, uh, yeah, um, I used to do the weather. I used to do the weather phone. Cool. Um, he was yeah, uh, he was he was a character. No doubt about it. He, uh, was, but not, he was a character. Uh, but I'm not familiar with uh, PJ, so uh, sorry about yeah, that. Yeah, PJ's a big guy. That's okay. That's uh, all right. I will look. I will um, look it up. So yeah, you were. Yeah, you you were talking about the previous segment. Yeah, we were talking about Lake Michigan and the uh, Enbridge mm-hmm. Five pipeline under the Straits of Mackinac, and talking about high water levels. And right on cue, you send us the Army Corps of Engineers weekly Great Lakes water level update. Um, yeah. And I think. Uh, what's kind of interesting is you can't treat the all of the Great Lakes as one because everybody no, you know, no. has their their own level. So, for instance, Lake Superior, it says the forecasted uh, level was four inches lower than it was a year ago, and uh, right. Lake Lake Erie and Ontario are receiving uh, less than sixty percent of their typical month to day percent. But here in Michigan, yeah. Lake yeah. Michigan and Go ahead. Yeah, the best way to really describe this to your listeners is that most of the water that flows into Lake Superior um, comes from either melting snow uh, in parts of Ontario, uh, but also the fact that much of that area is pretty flat. So Lake Superior has to get their rain from literally southern areas of Canada um, and the UP of Michigan. And the UP of Michigan doesn't really have a lot of water flow into Lake Superior. Lake Michigan and Lake Huron are basically the same because as you go through the Straits of Mackinac, the, the water at that point is pretty much a bridge between Michigan and Huron. So whatever Michigan has, Huron has. Now, there may be a little bit of a difference from one day to the other just based on heavy rain or wind or stuff like that. Uh, but what's interesting, Mike, you know, I was back in the East Coast uh, just this past week and it was amazing how dry everything is, particularly your, uh, your public greenways uh, in parts of New Jersey uh, and also parts of Pennsylvania. So most of those areas in upstate New York, uh, those are the areas that feed into Lake Ontario. Uh, they're down about five to six inches so far for this year. Also, there's been an extraordinary amount of heat across southeast Canada um, and also northern sections of New England, and heat this time of the year evaporates water. So Lake Ontario uh, is almost two feet lower than what it was last year. Lake Erie, not as much, but clearly Lake Michigan and Lake Huron um, pretty much has been getting deluged, you know, month after month after month. And even though we've had some recent heavy rain here, you look back at the last 30 days, 
and the core of heavy rain, which was over Wisconsin, Illinois, and Indiana in the month of May, kind of shifted out into Minnesota, Iowa, and parts of Missouri, and all that water basically flows into the Mississippi River. So this has actually been somewhat of a good weather pattern uh, to get the levels of Lake Michigan and Lake, Lake Huron down, and it looks like that pattern will continue, Mike. Oh, well, that's, that's good news for people on the lake, obviously, because yeah. uh, we're, we're very near that record level. You don't, uh, so judging from what you're saying, uh, it sounds like we will not hit a new record. No, I don't, think, I don't think we'll get to the record in the month of July. It looks like we're getting into a little bit hotter pattern, uh, a little bit less in the way of organized precipitation. So again, even though we got deluged on Thursday, that was a real small area, basically southern Wisconsin, central sections of Illinois. You really need those large-scale, uh, widespread severe weather outbreaks that goes on for a couple of days over a large area to really get those levels up. But as we've seen in the past, uh, the month of August, particularly towards the latter half, uh, it's been getting wetter and wetter, especially if we begin to see somewhat of an influence of the tropics. So my bet is that we'll probably end up somewhat below normal rainfall for the month of July. And as we head into the second half of August and into September, we'll go right back up and probably exceed uh, the record that you were talking about earlier, which was back in 1986. Yeah, that's uh, not a good uh, uh, sign. Not, for, not a good uh, record to have. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not. Yeah, especially if you live on the lake. Um, we have just a couple of minutes, but uh, I, real quickly, I yeah. want to say last week, you were the one that alerted me to the sand cloud over the Sahara, and it became a big story over the week and uh, spreading across uh, the Atlantic Ocean all the way to the United States, and some of it's going to go into the center of the country. Um, yeah, I don't know how much of it is actually going to get into the center of the country. I was actually looking at um, an analysis, basically a satellite view this morning, and I'm looking at it right now. And this set what they call the SAL, Saharan Air Layer. It's very common. It happens every year, and it's been happening for several hundred years. I just think that the more advanced satellite technology that we have now gives us a better idea of not only the extent of it, uh, from an aerial coverage, but also the thickness of it, and that's what we refer to as the optics. Um, this layer is fairly wide, but it's not as thick as what we've seen in the past. But I'm looking at it right now, and it basically the northern edge covers all of Florida, uh, the southern half of Alabama, almost all of South Carolina, and in the North Carolina. And the reason why it's not going to get into the Midwest is basically rain. So we're going to rain on top of that Saharan air layer, and then the southerly winds will kind of get knocked down as well. It really has zero impact on short-term weather or climate. Uh, I think it's more so just kind of interesting to talk about. <laughs> well, but you did say it does have a, a bit of an impact on hurricane formation. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm talking about oh, here in the United States. So when people oh, okay. say, oh, my God, what's it going to do to us? Nothing, except it may make your sky a little bit more hazier. But how often do we have here in the Midwest smoke coming all the way in from wildfires in yeah. Canada and people yeah. don't go nuts over it. We just talk about it as like, wow, that's really cool. But it does yeah, look tend to We look at the pretty sunsets. From hurricane. All right, give us a forecast. Yeah, well, you noticed bit. that last night, but that actually wasn't the Sahara air layer. That was a little bit of smoke still coming in from parts of Minnesota and also southern areas of Canada. Thing. All right, we need a quick forecast. All right, so uh, basically warming humid the next five to seven days. 
Uh, rain a little bit today, a little bit tomorrow, but other than that, just standard pop-up thunderstorms, nothing in the way of extreme heat and nothing in the way of severe weather. Okay, Rick, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, man. I want to thank everybody on the show today, Mary Phillips, Jill Utrip, Liz Kirkwood, Mitch McNeil. Thank you, Nancy, for running the board. Thank you, Randall. Until next time, go green or go home. Uh, Stadler? Uh, what? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much.